Blessed be the name of the Lord. We'll, uh, we'll talk about that a little more in depth in just a minute. If you have your pew Bibles, please turn with me to page 837. That's where we'll begin. You won't be on that page for long. We'll jump right over to eight, uh, page 874. But uh, we'll begin on page 873. And we're going through the book of Daniel. We're going to look at chapter 2 this morning. Daniel chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 24. Reflected last week on Daniel's basic, basically his kidnapping, right? He and his friends are taken to Babylon and some of the trials and difficulties that they faced. Now we're going to see the, uh, the continuation of the story and we'll see what happens. Uh, chapter 1 was mostly about Daniel. Let's see what chapter 2 is about. We'll begin in verse 1. This is God's Word. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. And then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. And So they came in and they stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show you the interpretation. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation." And they answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me, Till the times change, therefore tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. And the Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great or powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult. And no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling place is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied, with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. 
He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? And then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. And then Daniel went to his house and he made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets them up. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with Him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, You have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. And therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. Mercy for the mystery. Uh, You ever wrestle with life? You ever look at what's going on around you, maybe in your life, maybe in your family's life, maybe in the life of some of your friends, and you think, what in the world is going on? What is happening? Life is hard. It is difficult. It is mysterious. Um, when I think about the mystery of life, some of these lines kind of jump out to me. Here's one that, uh, uh, look at the dog, I guess we'll never know who did it, you know. I, I don't know. It's a mystery. Who did this? Uh, who ate the homework? I know a lot of young men and women wish this really happened, but uh, next slide. Facing mysteries in life. Greatest mystery of our time. Who takes these pictures? You ever wonder about that? They shoot as another plane? up. How in the world did they get this picture? Next slide. Mysteries in life. Here's a shelf. Mystery books. You have to find them first. Kind of ironic, huh? Well played, library. Well played. It's a mystery that the mystery books are not there. And yet, as we face life, as we engage in life, sometimes we come across things, we bump into things that we simply do not understand. I'll share an illustration with you, but as we do so, I want you to look at this next slide. I love this one. Uh, here be dragons. It's a map. Now, this is a true story. I couldn't find the original map on Google, but true story. On display in London's British Museum, there is an old mariner's chart that dates back to 1525, and it outlines the North American coastline and all the adjacent, all the adjacent waters nearby. And the cartographer made some intriguing notations on some of these areas of the map that at that point had yet to be explored. In one area he wrote, quote unquote, here be giants. 
And then in another place he wrote, quote unquote, here be fiery scorpions. And then in another, here be dragons. It's interesting that eventually this map came into the possession of Sir Charles Franklin, a British explorer in the 1800s. And what he did, he scratched through all of these fearful inscriptions and he wrote across the map in all caps simply this, Here is God. And I like that. Here is God. Even in the mysteries of life, we can cling to the one great truth that God is here, that He is with His people, that He is acting in mercy and in grace. Even if we don't understand it, we were just singing, Blessed be the name, and and I love that hymn. And it talks about whether the Lord gives or takes away. I love how this is phrased, My heart will choose to say, Blessed be your name. Your heart might not feel like saying, blessed be your name, but your heart is making a choice of faith to lay claim to the truth that the Lord's name be blessed, whether we feel like it or not. My heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. And so as you come here this morning, some come very happy and elated in life. Things are going well for you. Your team won last night. Some big upsets. There are probably some really happy people in the chapel this morning. If you're a Georgia Bulldog fan, you're probably happy. South Carolina Gamecocks, not so much. If you're an Ole Miss fan, anybody from Mississippi? If you're an Ole Miss fan, you're, you're ecstatic. If you're a Bama fan, two years in a row, what happened? I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to cling, it's hard to, cling to the truth that God is good on a morning like today. And I tell you, any, uh, any USC fans? Big... USC had a tough Stanford. Stanford represented. Ouch, that one hurt too, right? But it's okay. Still plenty of time to recover. Still plenty. There is mercy for the mystery, right? You may be, what ha- what's happening, God? But in all seriousness, some of you may be coming really hurting. Uh, bad news personally, bad news with your family, bad news with friends, friends you may have loved and dearly cared for. And so you come and you're hurting. And, uh, and you need a word from the Lord. I pray that this morning God would speak to, to all of our hearts and encourage us so that our hearts can choose to say that blessed be the name of our God. As we transition to our first main point, we've got three main points. First, Nebuchadnezzar dreams. We'll see this in verses 1 through 13. Second, uh, Daniel prays, verses 14 through 18. And then God answers, verses 19 through 24. So you got Nebuchadnezzar dreaming, you got Daniel praying, and you got God answering prayer. That's a little summary of where we're going this morning. So first we see Nebuchadnezzar dreams in verses 1 through 13. Uh, anybody have trouble sleeping? When's the, last time, when's the last time that you can remember having a sleepless night? That you were laying in bed and there was something on your heart, something on your mind, and it was so overwhelming for you that you just couldn't sleep. Some of you may say, Chaplain, I describe every night. Well, for some of you, there may be a, a particular night that we can remember. When's the last night that you had trouble sleeping? Look where we begin here in verse 1. In the third year, so this is three, or excuse me, uh, in the second year, so two years after Daniel has come, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams... Notice this, his spirit is troubled and his sleep left him. 
And so he is having trouble sleeping. It's not just insomnia. There there is something pressing on Nebuchadnezzar's mind and heart that is keeping him awake. And I I would say... In life, as we wrestle with the mysteries of life, we will experience times and issues in our life that are so important to us, that are so maybe painful for us, maybe even that are so exciting for us, that we simply can't sleep. It could be something that that gives us fear. It could be something that gives us guilt. It could be something that, that gives us shame. It could be looking forward to, to what's going to be under the Christmas tree on Christmas morning. It could be a thousand different things, but something doesn't allow us to sleep. And in God's providence, God sends this dream to Nebuchadnezzar, and it spurs on this whole series of events, this whole chain of events that we're about to to see unfold before us. But I want to encourage you just by way of a quick application. One of my favorite passages in Scripture is Proverbs 4.8. Scripture says that in peace... I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord. Give me safety. I like that. And I just want to encourage you that as your heart may trouble you at night, may you go to the Lord and may you pray this prayer of Psalm 4.8. In peace I will lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord. Cause me to dwell in safety. And so Nebuchadnezzar has this crisis dream. Then what happens? We'll see in verses 2 through 4, he acts immediately. He wakes up. He calls his cabinet together. He gets all of his wise men, all of his enchanters, all the Chaldeans. He gets everybody, magicians, sorcerers, conjurers. I don't know what translation your Bible might use, but the, the idea is he gets all the wise men together, all the people whom he trusted and maybe didn't trust so much but he was looking to for advice and counsel and insight. So he calls them all together, and he tells them the situation. And everything is kind of unfolding, kind of according to normal, you know, different stories that we see in Scripture, uh, what we may understand or think if we put ourselves in this situation. Okay, I'm a king, have a bad dream, I call my cabinet together, and I tell him to give me the interpretation. But you see, things take... An interesting shift in verse 5. It's kind of like this. Next slide. A slap in the face, right? These, these people, they come in and, and they say, uh, what's going on, king? And the king goes, oh, I got a little problem. We'll take it off now. I know it's kind of disturbing. You don't want to look at it too long. So, uh, so they come in and they say, what happened, king? And he says, I've got a bad dream. And they're like, okay, how can we help? Well, give me the interpretation. They're like, oh, yeah, no problem. And they just make something up, right? Right? They may just fabricate something. Who knows? But in verse 5, notice what happens. There is a titanic shift, and the king says, The word from me is firm. If you don't make known to me the dream and the interpretation, some bad stuff's going to happen. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, but he's not just asking for this interpretation. He's saying, you've got to tell me not only what a, a dream means, but you've got to tell me what my dream was. Whoa, things just got real, right? All the magicians, the enchanters, all the wise men are thinking, we can't make something up. I don't know. He knows what he dreamed. I don't know what he dreamed. There's no way that I can fake my way out of this. Any of you ever been in that scenario? You're in the military. You know, you get that one call. Hey, what about this? You know, there's some things you can fake your way out of, right? There's some things you can't fake your way out of. 
and you're staring at the crosshairs going, I'm in some serious trouble at this point. All these wise men are now looking at this king whose decision is firm, and you see they try to get out of it two or three different ways, right? Oh, but wait a minute, wait a minute. Tell us the dream, then we'll give you the interpretation. No, 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 no. Wait a minute, king. No one on earth can do this. Not a man. No king has ever asked this of any enchanter. Please reconsider. No. They know that they are in some serious trouble. The importance of this dream is highlighted by the severity of the punishment. What does the king say? If you don't answer this dream, what? I'm going to throw you in jail for a week? Throw you in jail for a month? This is pretty graphic. All right, if you're under five, cover your ears, all right? I'm looking, right? Cover your Torn limb from limb. Your house will be burned to the ground. That's that's connecting not just you, but your family. You're going to die a very gruesome, painful death, and then we're going to kill your family. All right? So, go ahead and tell me my dream. Right? Oh my gosh, I am freaking out if I'm there. Lord, help me. Lord, give me wisdom. If you answer, I'll shower you with riches and honor. Well, that's all great and good, but... There's a problem. No one can do what Nebuchadnezzar is now asking them to do. And they realize it. They recognize this. They say, not a man on earth can do this. And when they say that, it's almost prophetic, right? It is right. We're going to see that Daniel comes and does it, but is it Daniel? Or is it Daniel's God that intervenes in history that grants wisdom and opens this mystery. Nebuchadnezzar dreams. There's a sign, a story about a sign in a textile mill, and it said this, When your thread becomes tangled, call the foreman. Simple sign, simple direction. When your thread becomes tangled, call the foreman. A young woman was new to the job. Not long after she began, her thread became tangled. She thought to herself, I'm just going to straighten this out myself. She tried, but the situation only worsened. Finally, she called the foreman. And when he came, he was a little upset, a little angry. And she said, I did the best I could. And he replied, no, you didn't. If you would have done the best that you could, you would have called me immediately after your thread got tangled. I think that's interesting, right? I did the best I could. Did you really? The best thing that you could have done is called for help as soon as you needed help. I think sometimes we treat prayer like that, right? God says, look, come to me. As soon as something happens in your life, come to me and pray. And what do we do? We're new to the job. We get our threads tangled and we think to ourselves, I'm going to try to work this out myself. And nine times out of ten, when we try to do that, what happens? We make matters worse, not better. Then we come to God and we say, God, please fix it. I did the best I could. And he looks down through his word and he says, no, you didn't. If you did the best you could, you would have enlisted me and my help immediately. May God make us quick to pray, quick to seek his face. So Nebuchadnezzar commands this. Then in verses 6-13, we see that the wise men, they are attempting to buy time, but Nebuchadnezzar remains unmoved and unmoving. And again, I just want to cement that, that, that phrase in your mind, not a man 
on earth. And so that's Nebuchadnezzar and his dream. So what happens now? We're going to see Daniel begins to engage. And Daniel prays. We see this in verses 14 through 18. We see the power of prayer. And I love this, this, uh, this picture. As we think about prayer, it's not just an activity that we do alone, but it's, it's a journey that we're walking with the Lord, I think. You know, as we're, as, we're, as we're walking through the woods, He gives us a path as we pray to lead us through the difficulties of this situation and this area. Notice it begins in verses 14 and 15 with, uh, with uh, kind of this encouragement about Daniel. Then Daniel replied with prudence and with the discretion. Notice how wise Daniel is. He's, he sees something out of the ordinary going on. He sees this man going out. He sees all of this happening and unfolding before him. And what does he do? Notice the first thing he does is he asks questions. Oh, well, why is the command from the king so severe? Why is this so significant? He engages with a question. He is seeking understanding of this particular situation before he responds to it. And I think that's interesting. If you're like me, a lot of times I respond and then I seek for wisdom and understanding. But, but Daniel reverses that. The first thing he does is ask questions, trying to understand what's going on. He doesn't fly off the handle. He doesn't panic. He doesn't make accusations. This is unfair. This is stupid. He remains calm. He remains composed. And he asks questions to understand the situation so that then he can engage in the situation. He does this beautifully, and then in verse 16, we see something interesting happen. So, so he engages what's going on. Arioch describes the situation and unfolds it before Daniel. And then Daniel says this in verse 16. Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Now, I love this because I think this is one of the most beautiful expressions in Scripture of living by faith and not by sight. Does Daniel know the dream or the interpretation at this point? No, we're going to find out that the Lord reveals that later that evening. But he says, look, I want you to know, go ahead and tell the king that I can do it and set up the appointment. Now, I'm wrestling with this. Y'all wrestle with me. I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. Is this that Daniel is just such a man of faith that he knows that God is going to reveal this to him? Or is it just, you know... What do I got to lose, right? I'm already dead. At least, I can, at least I can try. I can slow it down a little bit, maybe. Pray. If God answers, great. If not, I mean, off with the head either way. I don't know. I like to give Daniel the benefit of the doubt. He seems like a pretty sharp character to me. I'm going to say he's living by faith and not by sight. He's clinging to the, the confidence that God is going to answer his prayer. But isn't that interesting? That he sets up this appointment even before... He knows the dream or the interpretation. I want to encourage you to live a life like Daniel, but maybe not like that. You know, you don't want to go to set up appointments with your boss to explain things that you have no idea what the answer is. But we do appreciate that as we see it in the life of Daniel. Now notice what he does. He's facing this crisis, right? He's facing this emergency. And so what does he do? I think of Buzz Lightyear when I think of this. I don't know about y'all. 
This is an intergalactic emergency. I think of Buzz, and, and what is Buzz famous for? What is that famous phrase that he uses? Any kids know? There it is. Next slide. To infinity and beyond, right? To infinity. Now, this is taking on a whole life of itself. You know, you see all these crazy quotes. If you just do a to infinity and beyond Google search, you'll see all kinds of stuff pop up. You know, this idea that, that love, you know, you'll see little tattoos and you'll see couples standing together and with two infinity on one arm and the next arm will be and beyond, you know, just signify, I love you to infinity and beyond, honey. You know, all that stuff, right? But I think there is an element to this, right? That God loves us literally to infinity and beyond, more than we can ask or even imagine. That is how much God cares for His children, how much God cares for Daniel, and how much God cares for the people of Israel during this time. He cares for His people, and I think that is what Daniel is tapping into. That is what Daniel is grasping at this point, that surely God won't let all of us be destroyed. Maybe He will, maybe He won't. But I want us to reflect as as we face difficult mysteries in life and as we appeal for mercy, may we not do that alone. May we do that with, with, with kind of two caveats. Number one, we know that we do it as, as we approach a God who loves us, literally to infinity and beyond. And may we not do that alone, but may we do that in fellowship with other believers, other brothers and sisters in Christ. Notice the first thing that Daniel does is he enlists a prayer support team, right? He immediately, look at verse 17, goes to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. He tells them, seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Why? so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. And so he's not just praying by himself. He's bringing all of his friends together and he's saying, look, we've got to all pray together and we've got to do it right now. This is significant. This is imminent. This is urgent. Pray with me that we might not be Destroyed, And I love how you see that in Daniel. It's almost like it's second nature to Daniel. You see him again. He's been here in Babylon now for two years. And, and I really think that, that little acts of obedience beget bigger acts of obedience, right? And that little acts of faithfulness beget bigger acts of faithfulness. It's the little things, it's the secret things that prepare us for faithfulness when the big things come knocking. And so I think that Daniel, having lived a life of faithfulness, now has this second nature to him. And so he goes and asks, not only for himself, but also for all of his friends, that God might have mercy. Now there are a lot of things that Daniel could have done. And the one thing that he does is he says, I'm going to my friends, and I'm going to get them to help me, and we're going to sit down and we're going to pray. Isn't that interesting? I mean, I think, I, I try to put myself in Daniel's position. What would I do? You know, what would you do? You hear this news, I would probably be running around in a scurry trying to talk to people I know, people of influence, people who might have the king's ear, and, and you know, be 
maybe logically trying to argue them out of this, right? Tell the king this isn't wise. Tell the king it's not a great plan for the future. It's not just going to impact him negatively. It's going to impact Babylon negatively. All of the wisdom of Babylon is going to be sabotaged in one night because he's upset and thinking irrationally. Perhaps he's afraid. Perhaps the dream scared him. We don't know what's going on, but, but I would be trying to probably, probably logically reason King Nebuchadnezzar out of this somehow, some way. I, I, I wish that it were true, but I doubt that it's true. I, I, I doubt that I would just say, okay, all night prayer, all, all night prayer time. Let's just go hunker down and order a large pizza, a bunch of Diet Coke to keep us up all night, or some Red Bull, and we're just going to pray all night long. Would that be your initial reaction? Would that be your initial response? But that's Daniel's. He believes in the power of prayer. Here's the story one day of the great church reformer Martin Luther. They were eating dinner and the puppy snuck into the room where they were eating dinner. And he runs up to his master's chair, puts his little paws on the chair, looks up at his master as he's eating. And as Martin Luther is moving the fork back and forth to his mouth, the dog is just back and forth. You know, his eyes are tracking that food wherever it goes, no matter where it goes. And Martin Luther noticed this, and he looked at his family, and he said, Oh, if I could only pray to God the way that this dog watches this meat. All of his thoughts are concentrated on this one piece of meat. And apart from this piece of meat, at this moment, this dog has no other thought, other wish, or other hope in life. I thought that was interesting. Do we pray like that? Do we wrestle with God like that? It's said of Mary, Queen of Scots, that she once said that I fear John Knox's prayers more than an army of 10,000 men. Isn't that interesting? I fear the prayers of one man more than I fear an army of 10,000 She believed in the power of prayer. And I would argue that John Knox did as well. And so do we believe that God answers prayer? I think we see that in verses 19 through 24. God answers prayer. Again, kind of this this idea of a journey that we're on with the Lord as we're sharing our hearts and passions with Him as He is grooming us and molding us. The closer we walk with God, the clearer we see His guidance. Look what happens in verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed almost as soon as Daniel and his friends pray. We see God answer in faithfulness. And then, God ble- and then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And he said, blessed be the name of God forever. He goes on and he highlights uh, the aspects of God's character and faithfulness that need to be praised. His wisdom, His might, His sovereignty. He highlights how He's sovereign over kings and kingdoms, that He's the master of human history. He highlights that God knows the secret things, that God knows the hidden things, that nothing is darkness to God. Everything is light. Wherever He goes, He sheds light. And He brings revelation. And then in verse 24, we see Daniel respond. Again, I can't emphasize this. First thing he does is he praises the Lord. Now again, what would I do? 
God answers my prayer. First thing I do is go engage with the king, right? Maybe, maybe after that, I remember a day later, a week later, oh man, I need to go back and thank the Lord, right? I mean, here we are facing this huge crisis, this crisis that is larger than us, that is bigger than us, that we're hopeless or helpless against. And he answers in an amazing way, and then I just continue on with life. No, 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 no. First thing Daniel does is bless and praise and thank the Lord, living a life of gratitude. And then he goes and tells Arioch, okay, verse 24, I'm ready to meet the dream. I will show him the dream and the interpretation. Now, I can't wait to find out what this dream is. I can't wait to find out what that interpretation is. What about you guys? I'm not going to hear it till next week. Got to come back. Got to come back next week. But I want you to see Nebuchadnezzar's dreaming. Daniel is praying. And God is answering. I want to end with the illustration. Uh, there's a story uh, while this... Uh, ocean liner is crossing the Atlantic. There's a, a gentleman, a preacher, F.B. Meyer. He was asked to address the first class passengers. So he goes, and at the captain's request, he spoke to them and he preached on answered prayer. And it was an agnostic who was there. He was present at the service and he was asked by one of his friends what he thought about the sermon. And he answered, I don't believe a word of it. I'm an agnostic. I don't believe it. Later that afternoon, Meyer went to speak to the passengers on the lower deck. Now, many of the listeners who were there earlier that morning also went to this one. I guess it was before all the activities that you have on cruises, and this was kind of the one show. Captive audience, so everybody says, well, we got nothing better to do. Let's go back and hear him again. Many of the listeners that morning went along, including the agnostic who claimed he was going only so that, quote-unquote, he could hear what the babbler had to say. Before starting the service, the the agnostic put two oranges in his pocket to eat. On his way there, he saw an elderly woman sitting in her deck chair fast asleep, and her hands were open. And he just thought it would be funny, thought it would be interesting that he went and put the oranges in her hand, went to the service, and then as he was coming out he saw the old lady happily eating one of the pieces of fruit. He knew what had happened, but she didn't, of course. And so he goes up to her, and he says, You seem to really be enjoying that orange. Yes, sir, she replied. My father is very good to me. And he thought to himself, and he said, Your father? Surely your father can't still be alive. And she responded, Praise the Lord, he is very much alive. So he said, what do you mean? And she explained, I'll tell you. I've been seasick for days. I was asking God just earlier that he would somehow send someone to me to give me an orange. I suppose that while I was praying, I fell asleep. And when I awoke, I found that he had sent me not only one orange, but two. The agnostic was speechless and was later converted Christ. I think that's an interesting story. Next slide. God really does answer prayer. We see Him do this time and time again. I love how He even uses people who may be against Him and against His kingdom and against His plan as the very means to bless His people and to answer their prayer. Do we believe that God answers prayer? Do Do we believe that as we face difficulties and hardships and 
mysteries in life that if we turn to God for guidance and support, that He will be with us, that He sends His Spirit and His Word and even His sacraments to encourage and to bless us. I pray that God would make it so. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You do love us. We thank You that You do answer prayer. We pray that You would help us to be better at praying, to be better at giving thanks, to be better at showing our obedience and our gratitude to You. Lord, we do pray that as You call us to face mysteries in life, that You would be with us in mercy. For we ask it in Jesus' blessed name. Amen.